shepherds came to see the baby stood by his mother's side here lay the savior inside a manger oh what a glorious night oh what a Glad to be here. Um, I would like to introduce my family, um, Anna Marie Middleton, <laughs> or Nanette, uh, Daphne Middleton, and me, Carl Middleton. And we've been going to the church uh, approximately since 2016, so we're very glad to be here. We see a lot of changes, and uh, we, we're very blessed to be here. Thank you. I'm going to read in the back, uh, the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written. 
But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. We gather today as living testaments to God's indescribable love. While our differences divide us and separate us from God, it is God's love that restores, reconnects, and redeems. Each one of us is a life changed, a life now hopeful, peaceful, and joyful because God's so loud. Rejoice today as those saved by a love so deep it can be found only in God sending His Son, Jesus, an expected gift that defines true love. Philippians two, chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mind as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue Acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. For the unclean, the unholy, for the broken, the unworthy, you came. Jesus.
Christmas songs has, they have, a lot of them have kind of funky words, don't they? Um, which is saying, haste, haste, hurry, hurry, to bring him laud. <laughs> Who uses laud on a regular basis? Not me. So if you don't know what that word means, it simply means praise, to extol, to worship, glorify, honor. And this is what we bring, this tiny little baby that we celebrate at Christmas time. I think something was maybe a little wonky in my brain that when I first had my kids and they were so small, I didn't have this idea or concept that they would grow to be like adults. <laughs> I know that's kind of crazy. But now that they're 11 and almost nine and eight and Molly's like at my eye line, you know, it, it's, it's different. And so I think at Christmas, sometimes it's easy to just think about this baby, right? But he, but he grew up. <laughs> right? And we worship him, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And this morning, thanks, Brian. I wanted to read to you from Colossians, and I had quite a few more verses I wanted to read, but I'm just going to tell you, go home and just read the whole book, okay? So I'm just going to read two verses right now, but read the whole thing, okay? But this is talking about Jesus. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, the second him being Jesus. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him, Jesus, to reconcile to himself, God, all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on a cross. So friends, let's not forget that this manger, thank you. <laughs> I didn't mean that, I was just using my hands. This manger, this baby, that points to the cross. It points to Jesus and his life lived and all that he is to us. Jesus, Emmanuel, God is with us. Let's continue bringing him laud, praise, glory, honor. Let's sing to him. You were the word at the beginning. One with God, the Lord most high. Hidden glory in creation is now revealed in you, our Christ. What a beautiful name it is. What a
it's that name that we call on this morning for every single aspect of who we are father we praise your name today for all that we have and for all that we're blessed with for all the things lord that we can think of and even the things that we can't that you have put into our lives lord the people the opportunities the circumstances the blessings that you've poured out on us it's all because of you jesus and we just want to thank you today for that it's in that same name that we call on you today for everything that we need. Lord, not outside of our praises, but in the midst of our praises, we bring to you today the things that we need you to speak to, the things that we need the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus to apply itself in our lives. Lord, for the places that we're hurting, for the places where we are needy, for the places where we don't have answers, Lord, we call on you this morning. And we thank you that we can call on you. We thank you that that love that we know in other places of our life is the same love that applies itself to the places where we need it the most. Thank you, Lord, for who you are to us today. Thank you for what we have in this place today because of you. Thank you for who is in our life because of you today. Continue to be with us here. We want to hear from you this morning. Speak through your messenger, the words that you've placed on their heart, Lord. May they be the words that we hear with our ears and with our hearts. In your name, we thank you and praise you for all these things. Amen. Maybe. Well, it's hard to believe, but here we are. It's Christmas week. Ready or not, right? So uh, hopefully most of you are more ready than not. But we're so glad you've chosen to worship with us today. We want to welcome you. If, if you're new here, my name's Pastor Brian. Uh, don't, don't be fret because I'm new here too. Uh, it's my first Christmas with this faith family, and it's been a good six months together. Isn't that hard to believe? It's been uh, six months together. Some of you are like, oh, is that all it's been? Or some of you are like, it's really been six months. But that's okay. We understand, and that's all right. We're, we're still feeling each other out, getting to know one another. And, and we're so excited about sharing this season with you. And we just want to thank you for, for your kindness. Uh, so you've been so kind to us already uh, with your gifts, your words of expressions, your cookies. It's been a great time. And, uh, but some have asked, well, what do we do if we brought you a present, we brought you gifts? And, and I've got you, got you taken care of. Uh, I have a stocking for my wife. My, my, I bring up, you bring up your mom's stocking. So if, if you have a gift for Amy, she's not here so I can talk about her in the first service. Second service, I have to watch what I say. But I have a stocking for Amy, and this is just her stocking. We'll have this hanging out by the, by the um, Welcome Center as you go. But you're thinking, well, I, I know what you're thinking, I know what you're thinking. This one's much too small, right? So I have a stocking, too, for Pastor Brian, and she's going to bring me my stocking. Am I bringing my stocking up here? So in case you're wondering what's, what to do with, with, with all of your, your gifts of affection and, and, and love and appreciation, I've got my stocking that I'll put out front as well for after the service. So, so don't, don't fret. We've got plenty of room, I think. <laughs> my kids at home, they like to, 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 put, to, to jump in this. And they say, Dad, look what Santa brought you for Christmas. And if they've had a really rough day, I ask, where's the gift receipt? I had to take it back. No, I'm just kidding. I don't ever really want to do that. But um, anyway, just, just joking. But no, in all seriousness, thank you for your kindness and just the way that you've embraced our family over these last six months. We're excited about what God has for us in the days ahead. And we're very excited about what God has for us today. Uh, the words that he's going to share with us today. And it's, it's interesting. I, down the street from where we live, there's this house and they, they go above and beyond. They've got this programmed light show, LED light show, these Christmas bulbs in our front yard that sing, and you, you tune your radio to a certain channel, and you kind of can sing along with them, and my kids love just driving by this house and listening to their playlist, and there's, their eyes get really big as they can see the different patterns and the different things that pop up in the lights, and it just seems like everywhere we go, there's this, this wide-eyed wonder that our children love this time of year, and, and I think when we look at Christmas through the eyes of our children, we also can get drawn in, can be reminded of the wonder that this time of year brings to us. 
to this story that we're sharing is, is one that brings hope for those of us that are hopeless. It's a time of peace in the midst of restlessness. It's a time of joy for those that are empty or find themselves drained. And for those that feel alone, if they don't matter, it's a time where we're reminded that we are deeply loved for God so loved the world. We'll get back into that verse in just a few moments. We've been talking about how God sent his son to redeem, to save us in the most unexpected ways. But it was a world not so different from our own that Christ first came into. A world full of political strife, uncertainty, chaotic leadership, where being and people were marginalized, where often you had to choose sides. Just surviving was the way of life, and it was all so tiring. It was heavy. The weight of it all, almost unbearable. Life had a way of stripping away one's hope, one's sense of belonging. There was no room for peace, and fear would easily rush in. To the world that Jesus entered into 2,000 years ago isn't so different from our world today. He came down into a world in an unexpected way to meet the needs that we have still in ways that we often don't first turn to or recognize. He brought with him hope, peace, joy, and love. Those four categories, often uh, we use them as Advent themes, but if we look a little bit deeper, we see them as characteristics of God's very nature. Uh, We get to know who he is by celebrating what Jesus brought. Today we're going to spend some time in the Gospel of Luke talking about the wonder of the season, but also the difference that the season should make in us, what it should do to us, and what it compels us to become. Luke chapter 1, we see the angel first appear before Mary. You want to talk about eyes of wonder. Here comes this angel to this ordinary girl, and the angel shows up in an ordinary dream. I wonder how people dreamed back then. Did they dare to dream? Did they dare to hope that life could get better? Did they wonder what life might be like if the Messiah did show up? We see in the sixth month in verse 26 of chapter 1 of Luke, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. What an introduction. What, What a powerful hello my name is. Greetings, you who are highly favored. We don't know exactly what it was that made Mary favored in God's God's sight, but there must have been something special in the simplicity about her that God saw. The angel goes on to tell her not to be afraid, that she's found favor in the eyes of God, and she will be with child and give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He'll reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. And Mary, as most of us would, Asked a simple question, how could this be? She knew how life worked. She understood basic biology. How could this be? The angel goes on to talk to her about how the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And what we see in this very first chapter of Luke is the Trinity is present in the Christmas story. God shows up, sends the angel, says the Holy Spirit will be upon you. You're going to give birth to the Son. We have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all in one chapter. See, the Trinity's present, and there's, there's power in that, because God's always present in every, in every way that we need him to be in our lives today. Imagine the wonder that Mary is feeling in this moment. Or maybe it's better put, I wonder what Mary was feeling in this moment. Unimaginable? Overwhelmed? Unbelievable, sure, yet also undeniable. This declaration of favor Mary has received, she she knows instantly that it comes with consequences. As Brian shared with us last week, the consequences of what this favor meant in in her life and the life of Joseph. How should a teenage girl respond? How would you respond? And Mary responds. Maybe this is part of why she had favor in God's eyes. He says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have 
said. Regardless of the consequences, may it be to me as you have said, I will take it on. I will accept this favor. This unexceptional, common girl says yes. In this moment, we know that she's blessed for, for, for sure. We can see in hindsight how blessed that she was. But we also know that this choice also leaves her alone. All alone. Since we don't see any scriptural references to Mary's family. None. Except for her cousin, Elizabeth. Who she goes to live with after receiving this declaration. Maybe she was sent there because she was found to be pregnant or her parents wanted to send her away for a season to avoid the shame. We don't know that. We can speculate. But she goes to visit her cousin, Elizabeth, a four- to five-day journey, alone, all by herself. She spent some time there, and we know that Elizabeth has received her own good news about an expected child. And in this expectation, Mary walks in the door, and the baby inside of Elizabeth leaps with joy at the presence of Jesus. So God, all along the way, even in the midst of loneliness, was showing Mary that he was with her, that he was going to be with her throughout this whole process if she would just continue to trust in him. In this lonely life, this teenage girl becomes the vessel for Emmanuel, for God with us. This entire Christmas narrative is about God unexpectedly encountering the lonely, the outcast, the oppressed, the hurting, hungry, the weak, the separated, the lost. This is a story for you and for me, for each one of us. There comes a point in our lives where we find ourselves alone and we have come face to face with God who looks at us in spite of our circumstances, offers favor, offers grace, offers forgiveness, offers relationship. God with us becomes God finds us, and God is doing something spectacular as he did in her. He wants to do the same thing in our lives today. And instead of wondering what kind of greeting this might be for us, let us see ourselves in the story. Because we are the motivation for his coming. We're the reason that he came. So in Luke chapter 2, as we read the Christmas story today, might we be reminded that this is for us, even when we first moved to West Virginia about 10 years ago in ministry, I won't get into all the details, but on Christmas Eve, we, we finished our Christmas Eve service and went out for dinner only to find that every place in town, I mean every place in town, was closed except for one place, Sheets Gas Station. Bright lights on the horizon, the only place that was open. We had no food at home. We were getting ready to leave the next day to go see family for a week. So we really hadn't prepared very well. Uh, there was no restaurants open for dinner. So we did what the only thing we could do. We went to Sheets for Christmas Eve. We proceeded to do that every Christmas Eve for the last 10 years. It's become our tradition. It's not that we couldn't go somewhere else or couldn't make some other Christmas Eve dinner. That's what our kids enjoy doing. So we, we get our tater tots with cheese. We get our milkshakes. And we spend time together. It was the only light on in the horizon. Everything else was closed. And I wonder if, if we read the traditional, our traditional understanding of the Christmas story, if, if we don't picture Mary and Joseph kind of doing the same thing, arriving into town a little bit late, everything's closed, there, there's no lights on. Well, if only there had been sheets when Mary and Joseph were alive, there, the lights would have been on there. Maybe the story of Jesus' birth would have been remembered slightly differently. But I want to challenge our idea and our understanding of, of the story in this very early part of Luke chapter 2. Because I think often we read into it instead of reading out of it. And the storyline lends itself to, to Joseph walking beside this 38 and a half week pregnant woman. Mary bouncing along the back of a donkey. Or a heartless innkeeper who denies a bed to this pregnant Mary. Yet... There's no mention in Scripture of an innkeeper, not even of an inn as we understand it. But we do read in Luke chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room, Scripture tells us, available for them. Now, this is a little bit different than our understanding of what an inn would be like. 
The, the, the word that Luke uses for guest room is, is kataluma. And, and kataluma implies or, or is used or means a guest chamber or upper room, a room for guests. You might have a guest room in your house. Uh, I don't have any rooms in my house. I have too many kids. So there's not any, any room for anybody to come. We got room for Jesus. That's about it. So, um, but what Luke is telling us, his use of this word, it tells us this is more personal. As Brian referred to last week, this is a personal story. There was someone that they knew that had a guest room that wasn't available for pregnant Mary. Now, to add a little bit more clarity to this understanding, in Luke chapter 10, the same writer uses the word in, in the story of, of the loss of the prodigal son. And the prodigal son, he uses the word in, which does refer to a place of paid lodging. I'm sorry, this isn't a parable of the Good Samaritan. My apologies there in Luke chapter 10. So this idea of you that Joseph and Mary simply arrive late to town and there's no room in the hotel isn't scriptural. It's not founded in God's word. But what we do see, there's no guest room available. See, it's not about being late as many of us might understand or even imagine or tell the story. It's about being rejected. See, the census, Joseph had to go to Bethlehem. He was from the line of David, but so did the rest of Joseph's family. There was no room in the guest chamber or the upper room for a pregnant woman. This indicates that someone chose not to make room for this mother-to-be. This changes our understanding of the story. But in verse 6, and I'm not alone in this. I thought this for years, too. I think we kind of imagine as they arrive into town, her water breaks and she goes into labor. It's kind of what we picture, isn't it? But Scripture simply says while they were there. We don't know how long they were there. Maybe they've been there a couple of days. Maybe they've been sleeping amongst the animals for a week or for two weeks. I don't know how long census took to take. But we picture them rushing to find a place, any place, because Mary's in labor. And maybe that's what happened. Scripture tells us that while they were there, the time came. Luke makes it clear that the lodging that they do find is amongst the animals because of the crib that is used, the, the, the bassinet, if you will, the, the bed that Jesus is placed in, his birthing suite. Yet another sign of rejection and shame. And we're here reminded of the first unexpected, as we've been talking about the unexpected parts of Christmas. Let's jump back to Isaiah chapter 53. The prophet says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. When we understand Luke chapter 2 in a different way, it makes you wonder which rejection was Isaiah referring to. Jesus was experiencing rejection before he was even born. This understanding is important to what God is doing. It's important for us to understanding who God is. He knows us. And for us to sit here and think, well, we would have done it differently, I think is a little bit, uh, well, self-focused. The reality is, I think we would have done probably the same thing. It's what culture would have dictated. It's what four years of silence would have led us to. But here we see the way Jesus came, the way that he's born, and the way that he dies all helps us understand who it is that God is. And in understanding who God is, we're able to see the relationship that he offers us and the favor that we can find in him. Jumping to verse 8 of Luke chapter 2, and there were shepherds. I like this part. Remember growing up watching Saturday morning cartoons, and there was always this part of conjunction, junction. What's your function? All right, you guys with me? My kids are like, what in the world is he talking about? Get on YouTube. You can find it. It's still out there. And there were shepherds. The shepherds aren't an afterthought. They're part of the story. This conjunction and is so important. It's a compound thought. It's a second part to the story. We have the first part where the time came while they were there for the child to be born. And the second part is God shares the good news of this birth of his son with the lowest of the low, the dirtiest of the dirty, shepherds. Scripture tells us they were terrified. Yep, wouldn't you be? How many angels have you seen in your life? Well, we don't really know, do we? Not a touched by an angel moment, this is for sure. These are the lower class, lower caste people. The shepherds were, were, were dirty. They were considered unclean. They're unable to go to the temple to worship because of the very nature of their job, which ironically, theologians believe perhaps that these shepherds were the very ones tending the flocks used in the temple sacrifices. They watch our sheep for the temple, but you yourselves aren't allowed in the temple because watching your sheep makes you unclean. Here the angel appears to the unclean, 
the rejects and says to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. What a beautiful, powerful, hopeful verse that is for us. For all people. There's, there we are in the midst of the story. This good news is for us. This is a summation of God's love for his creation and it's found in this proclamation. The purpose of all we read in scripture is wrapped up in this angelic introduction. I bring you good news for all people. It'll bring great joy. It's not just a story of old stories, but rather this book is a testimony of God at work in the lives of ordinary, marginalized, rejected, lonely, everyday people. Preparing the way for the good news to be shared and received and passed on in the most unexpected of ways. I'm going to get a little blunt with you for just a few moments this morning, and we'll quickly get past this. If you're not experiencing hope, peace, or joy, or love in your life today, then there's a good news issue in your life. This is the miracle of Christmas. No one is left out. If you're lacking any of those characteristics, then you're missing something important about the good news. You haven't received or you haven't heard it or you haven't internalized it. You haven't owned it. That's my preaching moment this morning. Let's keep going. Verse 11, the angels continue. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And that's it. One verse. The good news is one single verse. A Savior has been born to you. This captivity that you find yourselves in is not really what's keeping you captive. The Savior that's come isn't going to free you from the Romans. It's going to free you from sin. And that's all we need to celebrate Christmas. That's it. To recognize the gift that's been given. God had been silent for a long time. No prophets, no voice. The silent treatment, if you will, and waiting was so hard. Generations lived and died without a word from God. Imagine that. It created this culture of apathy, of going through the motions. One of weariness. One of just kind of giving up. The Romans moved in. The whole idea of anticipation changed. Now the Savior they wanted was one of military might. One of, one of, of from, from a political point of view. And then God speaks and God in, steps in and God responds and it's in the cry of a baby. Through the baby's cry, the silence is broken. And if you don't think Jesus ever cried, then, well, you don't really understand what God's up to. Babies always cry. He wasn't preaching at three months old. He waited until he was 12 years old for that. But the good news has come. And God shows up next to a rejected couple. And you wonder, how could this be the source of good news? This is scandalous. How would God use this to bring hope into the world? Highly favored with child? No, culture would say. Joseph takes her for his wife anyway? Unheard of. Those closer to them turned them out as there was no guest room available for them. And through this favored girl and an honorable man, the testimony of smelly outcast shepherds. Good news comes for all people. For you and for me today. The Savior has been born to you. What would motivate God to do that? Why would God do something like that for us? Jesus would tie it all together when he would meet with Nicodemus under the cover of darkness in John chapter 3. Where he shares with the world a verse that we've all come to know. We've memorized and we, we've said it and we, we've quoted it. We've gotten stars in Sunday school because we know this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And there we see his motivation. Love. All because God loves us, you and me, those created in his image. For God so loved you, for God so loved me that he gave that he came. He would go to the cross and give up his life so that we could be forgiven and not perish but live in relationship with him. John chapter 1, verse 14, go back a couple chapters. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The, the, the living word of God stepped into our lives. And the message version says the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And aren't you glad for that? This is the good news. For God so loved that he sent. The word became flesh. The, God, the word moved next door. And this is what love does. 
See, when we love the way that God instructs us to love, we're compelled to do something. Love moves us to act. We just can't say that we love and do nothing. Love requires that we do something. It moves us, if you will. And I want to share a story with you today with someone that God has moved in recent days. And God has moved her and some friends to do something pretty unique in their school. And I want to invite Allie to come. We're going to have a little conversation this morning. So a few weeks ago, Allie, you came and talked to me about something that was on your heart that you and some friends were involved in at school. Why don't you explain a little bit about what that was? Um, so a little backstory. Uh, last year, I took a journalism class, and um, throughout this, we were chosen to um, write articles about our school and keep, you know, the community involved. Um, so I reached out, and most people wouldn't know this. I'm a TA in the special education wing at my high school, um, so I get to work hand-in-hand hand with these people. And one of the aides that was in there had this project. She had this thing called the clothes closet which essentially is this project to help provide resources to people that may not get them. Um, whether it's clothing, hygiene products, school supplies, whatever you need, we have it. Um, but she's a little bit older, so we struggled to keep you know, the, the, the room up to date and in uh, an orderly fashion. So this year, um, a close friend and I, who had originally worked on it last year, um, had decided to take matters into our own hands and collaborate with one of the other ladies that had founded it. Um, the pictures that are being shown or will be shown show the progression of you know, the work that we were able to do. We were able to go in and clean it out um, and make it more accessible. Um, our hope through this project is, at least my personal goal, um, is to share God's love. Um, God does so much for us. Why not share it and be servants to other people who may not have it um, and just be that light through kindness to others? So that's the what. We have a little bit of the why. But why you? Why not send them to a church or to a community organization, to the Hope Center? Why, why you? Why in the high school? Um, I have always loved helping people. Um, that's one way that I know how to show love to other people is through acts of service. Um, I remember going to nursing homes, like through the church and singing carols and um, serve days that we do here, um, and even getting to work with the children here. Um, so acts of service and showing my love through, you know, doing something about it is how I express that. Um, and so when we saw this need, it was something that I felt compelled to help with. It's not for my own benefit. It's not for, you know, college resumes, but it's to help other people. That's the entire intention of it is um, to provide things for people um, that may not want to reach out and ask for help. So a cynical but honest question. I have teenagers in my house. I often can't tell if the clothes they wear are on purpose or if it's just because that's all they have. So how... how how do you know what the need is? How do you, how, how do you, how do you recognize the needs that you're surrounded by every day? Um, well, so I have the girl that I work with, whoops. Um, she works in like business management. And so we kind of did our own research as to what was popular. Uh, we then went through the clothing, sorted it. Um, we actually are partnering with thrift stores around Marysville to donate clothing that we might not necessarily need just because they don't fit the needs of the students at Marysville, um, but rather to keep it up to date and keep it engaging with everybody. So we use, um, you know, just what we see around us as a way to kind of dictate what clothing might be worn, um, what stuff might not be worn, um, and then how to repurpose it and reuse it. It's all about inclusion, making people fit, fit in, feel like they belong. I think mm -hmm. it's a pretty, pretty powerful part of this process. So we have the what and the why. How can we be involved? How can we help? Um, so I guess your call to action is that we are looking for donations. Obviously, it's easy to, you know, want to provide for everybody, but it only lasts so long without a consistent flow of things coming in. Um, so our hope is that this is, you know, the time of giving. And so we obviously know that, you know, everybody's spending money and already purchasing items. But if you could keep us in mind with, you know, donating clothing that you might not be wearing, it can be anything from kid sizes up to adult sizes. We work with elementary schools to provide clothing to those students. So it's not just um, the high school. Uh, we also are looking for hygiene products. That's another thing that a lot of kids might not have access to, but we want to make it a safe enough environment that they can come and reach out to us. Um, along with school supplies. And these can be obviously hygiene products. Please do not bring 
already used hygiene products. Um, <laughs> but school supplies, anything that can be reused, we will find a purpose for it and help give it to a student or even a faculty member. We have some faculty members that might not necessarily um, have the extra income to provide for themselves, so that's kind of our hope. Um, I have two gray bins. I have a gray bin that's you know right by this main entrance over here, and then there's also one in the FLC. They're labeled with the closed closet, which is what we are called. Um, so you can drop those in. We are working today, which obviously most of you probably don't have anything spare on you, um, <laughs> all the way through January 1st. Um, so, you know, Christmas Eve services, if you bring them in, if you're here for collectives, anything like that, anytime you have a spare moment, um, we would really encourage you to share and, you know, be that light to other people. Um, I also have a verse, if that's okay. I have a little passage. Um, for context as to what this is, it's when James and John approached Jesus asking to be seated at his right and left hand. Um, so Jesus called to them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave to all, of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as ransom for many. That's Mark 10, uh, 42 through 45, if you want to look back on it. Um, and through this whole process, you know, this has been months after months, hours after hours putting it into this project. Um, it just kind of stuck with me as, you know, God came to this world not for his own benefit. He was sent for us. He was sent to die for our sins and give us the most opportunities that we can involve. So why shouldn't I, this is again part of my why, um, why shouldn't I return the favor um, and, you know, share God's love? So I encourage you this week to find ways to serve, whether it's donating for our program, finding another way in the community to be involved, um, any of these, even, even holding the door open. I know that's a really basic cliche kind of thing, but those acts of service and spreading kindness go a long way. Um, and it's been really encouraging to see some students already come in um, and just to see that they know it's a safe place, to see that like, even though they might not know my personal story, that they can see the love that I have for other people. So um, along with donating, if you could keep us in your prayers, this is, there's a lot that goes into this project, so just praying for its success um, and just for our own mental health as it gets kind of stressful. Um, but yeah, so thank you. Thank you very much. So you have your charge, if you will. But let's not miss that. As a pastor, the, I get excited about a lot of outreach and missional opportunities, but the ones that move me are the ones that are, are organic, if you will, where you see a need and want to respond where you see an opportunity and you want to do something about it. That's, as a pastor, what kind of gives me the tingles, if you will. I get excited about that. It's easy for us as a staff to put together opportunities for us to go and serve our community. But when God moves you, oh, that, that just moves us because we know that you're listening to him, not to us. So be moved by this, this love that God has for us. Because love is the birthplace of the gospel. God saw a need in us. We were separated from him by our sin. And the only way to fix that need was for him to come. His love compelled him to come. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus came down. A Savior's been born. Jesus moved into the neighborhood. The Christ, the Messiah, would go to the cross as an offering, paying the wages for our debt, only to rise again in three days, provide us with hope give us peace that sin steals to, to restore the joy that life drains and for those who believe we get to experience the love that God offers to each one of us love was the motivation joy the result of God's saving grace peace found in the presence of God himself hope introduced to the choir of angels the gift is what now compels us to act to show our love for others. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, for Christ's love compels us. It moves us. We can't help it because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, 
How can the love of God be in that person? We're moved when we see opportunity. King James Version of 1 John 3, 17. I kind of like this version better. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion. Ooh. That's a pretty descriptive verse. Stay with me for just a moment. I am really not going to go off the rails, but stay with me. If you've ever had to use a bathroom and you can't get to one quickly, what do you do? You squeeze a little tighter. Okay? And what, what, what we see in John, this is what John's saying. If you see someone in need and you squeeze a little tighter, you're not letting anything out, then you don't have the love of God in you. Too many of us, we squeeze tight. We close the door instead of seeing the opportunity for what it is. Love moves us. Compassion drives us to action. Peter says in 1 Peter 3, verse 8, Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. When the love of God becomes real to us, may it move us, compel us to love as he loved. Allie used a great phrase as she was close. She doesn't even know this. She says, it's as if I'm doing them a favor. We're passing on the favor God shows to us, that's what Christmas does. That's what this season's all about. For God so loved. What are we going to do in response? So let me end the way that we began. Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. I'm going to invite you to stand, and I'm going to pray for you. And Amy's going to come, and we're going to close with, with a pretty upbeat, encouraging, sending song. Now, this has to be more than just words. This should be our desire today. When we recognize and receive the love that God has for us. Father, I thank you for the gift of your son. I thank you, Lord, for seeing us for who we really are and for seeing what our need really is. For what's lacking. For, Lord, what it is that we truly hunger for, for, Lord, sending the only gift that would truly meet our needs, for, Lord, drawing us to you, for, for saving us from ourselves. We thank you, God, for a love that, that compelled you yourself to step down into our messy lives, knowing full well when you came that you would end up at the cross for us. This is good news for all people. God, today, as we humbly embrace the love that you've poured out for us, help us, God, in return to be moved by that same love to love others. Father, I thank you. I thank you, I thank you for loving someone like me. Father, may your love take us to someone else who needs to hear it today. Help us, God, to know we are sent people. Not to hold it or to keep it or to squeeze it real tight, God, but to let it be shared with those that we get to share life with. Father, I love you and I thank you for the opportunity today. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray.
God compel you this Christmas to share the love that he's poured out for us to those that you encounter. God bless you. Have a great week. Hope to see you Christmas Eve.